God Sitting Upon His Throne, Facsimile 2, Figure 7, by Stephen O. Smoot, John Gee, Carrie Mulestein, and John S. Thompson, published in BYU Studies Quarterly, Volume 61, Issue 4. This article contains visual elements that cannot be rendered in audio. To access them, find the article at byustudies.byu.edu. Figure 7 in facsimile 2 is identified as follows, quote, represents God sitting upon his throne, revealing through the heavens the grand key words of the priesthood, as also the sign of the Holy Ghost unto Abraham in the form of a dove, end quote. Appearing in several other ancient Egyptian hypocephali, the sitting personage in figure 7 has been described by one Egyptologist as, quote, a polymorphic god sitting on his throne, with his back in bird form, while one of his arms is raised like that of the gods Min or Amun, and holding forth a flagellum. End quote. Standing next to him is a falcon or snake-headed snake, believed to perhaps be the minor deity Nehebkel, who offers the wedjot eye. End quote. Another Egyptologist has similarly described this figure as, quote, a seated ithophallic god with a hawk's tail, holding aloft a flail. This is a form of Min, perhaps combined with Horus, as the hawk's tail would seem to indicate. Before the god is what appears to be a bird presenting him with a wajat eye. End quote. In some hypocephali, the ancient Egyptians themselves identified this figure as variously the great god, Necher Aa, the lord of life, Neb Ankh, or the Lord of All, Neb Erger. This first epithet is significant for Joseph Smith's interpretation, since in one ancient Egyptian text, the divine figure Ayo Sabaoth, Lord of Hosts, is also afforded the epithet the Great God, Pa Necher Aa. Since some Egyptologists have suggested this figure is the god Min or Amun, who was often syncretized with Min, it would be worth exploring what we know about this deity, even if this identification wasn't explicitly made by the ancient Egyptians themselves. One of Egypt's oldest gods, Min, was worshipped as early as the pre-dynastic period, pre-3000 BC. Although he assumed multiple attributes over millennia, Min is perhaps best known as, quote, the god of the regenerative, procreative forces of nature, end quote that is, as a sort of fertility god, who is often depicted as the premier manifestation of male sexual potency. He is frequently shown raising his arm to the square while holding a flail, symbols or gestures associated with kingship, displaying power and the ability to protect from enemies. Min is also very often, though not always, depicted in hypocephali with an erect phallus, ithophallic, which Egyptologists have interpreted as either a symbol of, on the one hand, sexual potency, fertility, procreation, and rejuvenation, or, on the other hand, aggression, power, and authority. One Egyptologist has also interpreted depictions of men with his raised arm and erect phallus as a sign of him being, quote, a protector of the temple, whose role was to repulse negative influences from the profane surroundings, end quote, of the sacred space of the temple. 
that men would assume the roles of divine protector who gives life and divine king who upholds the cosmos is understandable from the viewpoint of ancient Egyptian religion. As Ian Shaw explains, quote, Although Egyptian art shied away from depicting the sexual act, it had no such qualms about the depiction of the erect phallus. The three oldest colossal religious statues in Egyptian history, found by William Flinders Petrie in the earliest strata of the Temple of Min at Koptos, were essentially large ithophallic representations, probably of men. This celebration of the phallus appears to be directly related to the Egyptians' concerns with creation and sustaining of the universe, in which the king was thought to play a significant role, which was no doubt one of the reasons why the Egyptian state would have been concerned to ensure that the ithophallic figures continued to be important elements of many cults, end quote. Christina Riggs similarly comments that, quote, Near-naked goddesses, gods with erections, and cults for virile animals like bulls make sense in ancient Egyptian religious imagery because they captured the miracle of life creating new life. For this reason, Min was regarded as the creator god par excellence in ancient Egypt, as fertility and male sexuality was subsumed under the general notion of creativity, end quote. Figure 7 in facsimile 2 was either originally drawn or copied somewhat crudely without access to the original hypocephalus, it is impossible to tell, and so it is not entirely clear if the seated figure is ithophallic or if he has one arm at his side with the other arm clearly raised in the air. Although Egyptologists have tended to interpret figure 7 in facsimile 2 as ithophallic, and that seems to be how it is depicted, it should be kept in mind, as noted above, that Min is not always depicted as such in hypocephali, so he need not necessarily be viewed as ithophallic in facsimile 2. But what about the figure assumed to be Nehebkau, offering Min the Wajot eye? Depicted most commonly as a snake or snake-headed man, but sometimes as a falcon, as in facsimile 2, in chapter 125 of the Book of the Dead, Nehebkau is named as one of the judges of the dead. In chapter 149 of the Book of the Dead, he is associated with men and other deities as one who ensures that the dead will be rejuvenated and resurrected with a perfect body. In the pyramid texts, he feeds the deceased king and acts as a divine messenger. As such, he, quote, was considered to be a provider of life and nourishment. Together, Nehebkau and Min were symbolic of life force and procreative forces of nature, end quote. In ancient Egyptian, the word wedja carries the meaning of hail uninjured and also well-being. It can describe the health or wholeness of the physical body, the soul or moral character. At the time of the creation of the Joseph Smith hypocephalus, the word meant whole or complete and perfect and featured in ritual contexts where an individual's heart was proclaimed to be wedja when the words of the ritual were spoken exactly, meaning the ritual was properly executed. The wedjot eye Nehebkau presents to men, or vice versa in some hypocephali, was thus envisioned by the ancient Egyptians as the whole or sound eye of the god Horus, and had an apotropaic function in ancient Egyptian religion. 
In Ptolemaic temple inscriptions, the word is used for the purpose of saving and protecting the body, or being saved in the temple. And in one demotic creation text, the phrase diwedja denotes, quote, something the creator god does to the gods while eternally rejuvenating them, a usage reflected in prayers for mortal individuals, end quote. Accordingly, it appears in the temple graffiti of petitioners requesting divine blessings. The Wedjot Eye was, in short, quote, the symbol of all good gifts, end quote, and divine blessings, and thus a symbol for, quote, the miracle of the restoration, end quote, and renewal of the body. Among Coptic Christians, the word Wedja meant salvation, saved, in the soteriological sense, in addition to the mundane sense of healthy, whole. This fuller understanding helps make sense of Joseph Smith's interpretation of this figure and situates such in an ancient Egyptian context. About the authors Stephen O. Smoot is a doctoral student in Semitic and Egyptian languages and literature at the Catholic University of America, he previously earned a master's degree from the University of Toronto in Near and Middle Eastern Civilizations with a concentration in Egyptology and a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University in Ancient Near Eastern Studies with a concentration in Hebrew Bible and German Studies. He is currently an adjunct instructor of religious education at Brigham Young University and a research associate with the B.H. Roberts Foundation. John Gee is the William Bill Gay Research Professor in the Department of Asian and Near Eastern Languages at Brigham Young University. He has published extensively on scripture and ancient studies. He has served on the boards of national and international biblical and Egyptological organizations and as the editor of an international, multilingual, peer-reviewed Egyptological journal. Carrie Muehlstein is a professor of ancient scripture and ancient Near Eastern studies at Brigham Young University. He received his bachelor's degree from BYU in psychology with a Hebrew minor. He received an MA in ancient Near Eastern studies from BYU and a PhD from UCLA in Egyptology. His first full-time appointment was a joint position in religion and history at BYU-Hawaii. He is the director of the BYU-Egypt Excavation Project. He was also a visiting fellow at the University of Oxford for the 2016-17 academic year. He has served as the chairman of a national committee for the Ancient Research Center in Egypt and serves on their Research Supporting Member Council. He is the senior vice president of the Society for the Study of Egyptian Antiquities and has served as the president. He has published and researched on Egyptological topics and the Book of Abraham topics for over two decades. John S. Thompson obtained his B.A. and M.A. in Ancient Near Eastern Studies, Hebrew Bible, from BYU and UC Berkeley, respectively, and completed a Ph.D. in Egyptology at the University of Pennsylvania. After more than 25 years as an employee of seminaries and institutes of religion, most recently as the Coordinator Institute Director in Cambridge, Massachusetts, he currently researches and writes for Scripture Central. This is an audio production of BYU Studies, read for you by Malin Glade and Jared Kamau. BYU Studies publishes scholarship informed by the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. 
For more information and access to articles, essays, and more, visit byustudies.byu.edu.